I've had a lot of people lie this morning and say I always do a good job, so thank you for those of you that lie to me, encourage me. It's good to be back with you guys this morning. Uh, when Wendy got sick last fall, everything in our lives kind of came to a halt for a little bit. Uh, so we are at the end of the road. Wendy finished um, physical therapy this week. So each and every day she looks a little bit stronger and a little bit more the person I remember a few months ago. Um, before we get started this morning, I want to just take a moment. Uh, Jeff had said that Pastor and Jenny and the family are on vacation, and uh, having stood where Pastor stands and serve in the capacity that Pastor serves, I know how important it is to break away for a few days to disengage and to um, get away from, well, let's just be honest, you and me, um, because People can be taxing, can't they? Uh, I've been managing people for a long time with the Postal Service and, and a pastor. And I, I told you the last time we were up here when Wendy and I were giving our testimony that I don't really like people. She told me I shouldn't have said that. Uh, so um, I like you sometimes. How's that? <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard leading people. It's hard to... Uh, engage the way people expect you to engage all the time. It's, it's, a, it's quite a weight and a mantle to stand up here and lead the people that God has called you to lead. A weight that some of us would never understand, and, but I get it. So I want us to take a minute this morning to pray for them because they deserve us to take a few minutes and pray for them. So will you join me? Father, we thank you this morning for... Pastor Devin, Jenny, and the boys, we thank you that you have brought them to Kokomo in this time, in this hour, in this place. We thank you for their excitement and their leadership. We thank you for their vision. We thank you for the passion and compassion that they have for each and every person here. We thank you that they loved us enough to come. And so I just pray, God, that you would take these last few moments that they have a vacation and I pray that you would just pour into them, that you would supercharge them, that you would give them new and fresh vision for us, that you would renew the passion, that first love that they had if it's ebbed away at all and God that they'd come back ready to move in the direction that you want them to move. Let them hear from your voice, I pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've been uh, in training these last two weeks with the Postal Service to learn a job that I've been doing for 20 years. That's kind of how the postal system works. Uh, we're normally 20 years behind everything and uh, equipment and uh, technology. Uh, but actually, it was, it was really a good two weeks. Um, it was nice just to step away, kind of like pastor's done, and disengage from the stress of life and from every day and just kind of concentrate on who I am as a leader. Uh, they stressed learning to build building skills, learning how to be effective communicators, uh, learning how to project empathy. That's probably the hardest thing in today's market is projecting empathy towards employees. When, when I got hired by the postal system, there was 250 applicants, and I was the only person they hired. Today we have two applicants, 
and you're lucky if one of them decides that they want to come to work for you. And then when they get there, they want to work two days and be off five. But we don't operate in that economy. We work six or seven days a week, 10 or 12 hours a day. That's what happens. And so they are trying to train us old dogs, especially how to have empathy towards customers, employees, how to good have good time management, labor relations, so on. Uh, my least favorite thing to do during those times are uh, icebreakers and um, group projects. Uh, you can ask my wife, I don't deal, work, deal well when I have to trust others to help me do something. Um, probably I got that from my dad, but he always would say, if I want it done right, I'll do it myself. Uh, and he was probably talking about me when he said that. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was my challenge this week. So in that, in that mindset this morning, I'm going to challenge you guys. I, I want to have a little icebreaker to begin. And so I need five volunteers from each section. And uh, I've asked a couple people to help me. So my helpers come on up and you'll, you'll put your positions on each end. And five volunteers, and if I know your name and you don't volunteer, I'm going to call on you, so you might as well volunteer. All right, so here's, you guys remember the old telephone game? Where you, one, so KJ's, we're going to start on KJ's end first. He's going to whisper something to Ben. Ben's going to whisper something to Mike, and so on. So get about an arm's length from each other where you all can get close to each other, or you can at least whisper. And if someone didn't wear deodorant, you might want more than an arm's length. All right, so KJ will whisper something, and we'll go all the way to the end, and then, Wendy, you'll tell Richard. Thank you. Richard? Dude, one of those moments, lights blinding. Richard, you'll tell me what they said, and we'll see how close we are. Then we're going to give you a second chance. We're going to let Richard tell Wendy something. We'll go all the way back to KJ. We'll see how effective we are at this. Can you guys do that, handle that? All right, let's start. Go ahead, KJ. All right, what did she tell you? Mark made something la la la. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what did the card say, KJ? How will a garter snake wear a garter if he doesn't have legs? How does a garter snake wear a garter if he doesn't have legs? And what did you s Mark said la la la? <laughs> wow. That was bad. Do you think we should give him another try, or are you, are you done with this? One more try? All right. Let's try, let's try to get it through this time. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yep, you're right. <laughs> For those of you that might be watching the video, just be patient with us. All right, if you've already said it, you can go sit down. Thank you very much. Give these guys a hand while we're finishing up. I have a feeling it got longer. <laughs> Richard's looking at me like, what did you do? All right. My friend Dan said, ouchie wah Ouchie wah wah. And what did the card say? Whew. All right. All right, give everybody a hand of applause real quick. 
So what everybody didn't know is that I picked one person out of that group to mess this phrase up. Why? Because you can't always believe what you hear. True? You can't always depend on communication from one person to the next. And I want you to keep that in mindset this morning as we talk about what God has for us this morning. You see, we live in a generation of constant information. Training this week, we had all these manuals and everything set out in front of us, but you know what I use more than anything? Google. Because if someone had a question about something, I could get the answer to that in a matter of seconds instead of having to look through a book or a manual to find out about it. We have factual information, analytical, subjective, and objective, and in that, we find ourselves making assumptions, having perceptions, hearing information, disinformation, facts, understanding, know-how, communication, and in today's age, if you don't want to figure out any of that stuff for yourself, go to Facebook. There's a fact checker. They will come up with the truth for you if you don't feel like forming an opinion whatsoever. <laughs> Just ask them. They'll tell you. But can I let you on in a little secret this morning? Come on, lean in like you actually are paying attention instead of playing on your phone at the moment. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, and glory of God. Truth is a self-expression from God, which simply means that truth flows from God. And it cannot be separated from him. I want to read a scripture this morning. I kept it real simple for you guys today. Uh, it's Genesis chapter 3. So if you don't have your Bible, they have orange Bibles in front of you. I will tell you that I'm reading from a different version than that. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I'm reading from a version that I kind of like a little bit better. Um, the New Living Translation. But it's really early in that, that uh, book that you have there, that Bible you have. Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read verses 1 through 11. And can we, can we stand for just a minute? We'll let you stand. I like to stand when we read God's word. It's the story of Adam and Eve. Great, 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 grandpa, grandma, to all of us. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say? You must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees of the garden. Of course, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. 
And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And the crux of our message this morning, God replies, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. I'm thankful that it still holds truth today as it did as it was penned many, many years ago. I pray today that, God, you would open our eyes, that our hearts would be fertile ground for you to plant the seed that we might be able to keep from sinning against you. And I just pray today, God, that we would be changed in this moment in the way that you want us to be changed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. The strategy of Satan when he wants to lead us from God's best for our lives will always never involve obvious ways. Everything dysfunctional in our lives is a result of the wrong answer to the question, did God really say? Uh, If we truly understand what is available to us when we walk with God in unity and in harmony and obedience, I would say that no snake could ever slither up to us and trick us. We would understand the truth. The truth is that the enemy very seldom ever offers a direct temptation to us for disobedience. Instead, he poses a question that creates a moment of pause, a fleeting doubt, and often that leads us to disobedience. One of the greatest challenges I feel like for this generation, for us today, is to see how God's word is applicable to us. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, this was written thousands of years ago, how could it really mean anything to me today? Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever had that thought? I mean, somebody wrote this literally thousands of years ago in a place and a lifestyle that is not applicable to us whatsoever. And yet, if we really dig deep down into this, we can see that it applies to us in every way. It would be this man's opinion this morning that the serpent is still hanging question marks over God's instructions in our lives and in the world today. Satan isn't into the bullying business in the church. I I don't really think we would ever stand for that. And quite honestly, Satan's too smart for that. But look at all the areas the enemy is still hanging question marks over your and my life today. If he can get us to doubt God, if he can get us in a moment of disobedience, if he can get us to disobey God, he can lead us from the life and the promises that God intends for you and me. And then he can do exactly what he intended to do all along, and that's kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy the purposes that God has in your life, for your family, in your business, in your spirituality, in your sexuality, all because of a question. Paul is imploring the church in 2 Corinthians to exercise forgiveness. 
And he makes this statement, which I think applies to us today. He says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Paul's telling the church that we should be familiar with Satan and what he's trying to do in our lives. But can we really say that? Are we? I think in today's generation, the answer to that question begs no. And this is why. I feel like the church is getting killed by questions. By those question marks that hang over us. Is homosexuality a sin? How does the church embrace alternative lifestyles? How do we do outreach? How do we do evangelism? Are small churches in? Are big churches in? Should we sing hymns or anthems or choruses? Should the lights be on or off during worship? Should we have Sunday school? Is PM service still a thing to do? Should we have midweek services? Are small groups the way to reach people? Should the church support the president? Or should we ever be involved in the political landscape at all? Should Christians drink? Should Christians smoke? Is divorce acceptable? Questions everywhere we look. And they still hang over that. We're killing ourselves with the questions today. Meanwhile, the world as a whole around us is still headed to hell. And we need to speak truth. Did God really say? So I think the challenge for us this morning is to see what God did really say. If you look back to Genesis chapter 2, a little precursor to this moment, in verses 16 and 17, it tells us the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So we jump back to verse 1 of chapter 3 when Satan asked, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of garden? So now not only has Satan placed a question mark over Eve about God's instructions, but Satan places a question mark over God's intentions. Did God really say? You see, up till this moment, God was the one that was providing what was good. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. You, God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And I think that was the moment. There was the temptation that Eve couldn't resist. See, up to this moment, like I said a minute ago, God was, had been the one defining what was good and evil and providing that. God is the one with knowledge of good and evil, but this tree represents a choice Will humanity trust God's definition of good and evil or choose to abandon divine revelation and define good and evil for themselves? I believe this is the core biblical definition of sin and it reveals itself when Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They desire to call the shots for themselves. How many of you guys argue with your spouse about who gets to make decisions? It's really easy in my household. I make all the decisions, and then my wife tells me if I made the right one or not. <laughs> and then we go with what she said. That's not really true. Right, honey? We want to be in charge. I'm, I'm at a place with the post office 
I've got 20 plus years in. I'm looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to retire. I've been working for almost 40 years now total because my mom and dad felt like I needed to go to work at an early age. So I started working when I was 15. I'll be 54 this year, so 39 years I've been working. I'm tired. I'm ready to set at home, go fishing, get paid to do that. That's probably the most important part of that, right? <laughs> I'm ready. And so I'm at a place where I'm wanting to wind down my career with the postal service. And so when we moved back to Indiana from Louisiana, we, uh, I, uh, I transferred in as a clerk, and I told Wendy, I said, I think I'm done with this management thing. I said, I think I just want to be a, a worker bee for my last five or six years with the Postal Service and let somebody else make the decisions, let somebody else worry about stuff. And when I got here, one thing led to another, and my boss kind of forced me back into it, and now I'm back making all the decisions again. It's not always as fun as what they make it out to be, right? But I think that's where Adam and Eve found themselves in this moment. They desired to call the shots for themselves. And we find ourselves here in today's generation seeing that the human heart wants to do what's best for me and my tribe, even if it's at the cost of what's best for you and your tribe. Man has proven over and over again that we are not affecting at defining what good and evil is for ourselves. Now, before we get too critical of Adam and Eve, have you ever noticed that when the enemy brings you something that it's always mixed with a little bit of truth? You see, we have allowed ourselves for the serpent to hang question marks over our lives. We bought into the enemy of li- or the enemy's lies. But God intended liberation in his instruction, not limitations. We often get so caught up in the limitations and the half-truths that we forget that so often things are off-limits for ourselves because God knows what's best for our lives. I can remember uh, my grandmother and grandfather when they lived over on Wabash Street. This is one of the few memories I have when they lived in that house, but my grandmother had a unique way of cooking. You knew she was done when this smoke alarm went off. <laughs> and she always loved to cook in one of those old black iron electric skillets. Um, we weren't usually allowed to be in the kitchen when she was cooking, basically for our safety. Um, Grandpa would have told you that. Uh, but I can remember one day she was doing fried chicken in that thing, and Robin, my sister who's here this morning, she wandered in there, and all of a sudden I heard a blood-curdling scream, and later come to find out Robin had stuck her tongue to the electric skillet. Um, I don't know if you remember that or not. You do. Okay. I would think that would be something you would retain through your... I can't, I can't tell you why she did that, Maybe she wanted to know if it was hot. I'm not sure why, but we weren't allowed in the kitchen because Grandma knew what was best for us. Even though sometimes what we think is best for us isn't necessarily good for us. There's a reason you don't allow your children to run across the road. 
right? I love Oakley, our, one of our granddaughters. She, she doesn't even go anywhere without reaching out to take your hand. I like that. She knows where safety and security is. She understands that. And Adam and Eve find themselves in this place not getting the fact that something with no reason to misrepresent God, she gets confused. She mixes up the details. Verse 3 tells us that in her response to Satan that she says they're not allowed to eat or even touch it. Just one little change. God did tell them not to taste it, but he never told them that they couldn't touch it. And this gives the door, the, the crack in the moment that the serpent contradicts God. And in that moment, Eve really should have fled. I mean, what was her reason to think that God would be holding, withholding something from her? Now, like I said, let's not get too hard on Eve because if Eve would have escaped this moment of temptation, if Eve's kids would have escaped it, his grandkids, let's just be really honest, there's probably someone in this room this morning who would have messed it up. And I know you're all thinking it's me, and you're right. Someone along the line somewhere would have done the same thing. Because we have a trust issue. And so Eve should have fled. She literally lived in perfection. I don't know what she thought God had was withholding from her, but the serpent's biggest falsehood came to light. You will be like God. And that rung a chord with Eve. It's the essence of every sin. We want to be little gods rather than submit to one true God. And sadly, Satan's lie worked for the first time. And with every human death that we've seen since then, we prove the inescapable pattern of God questioning God's word can lead to distorting God's word, which leads to the denial of his word. Let's look at verse 6 again. The woman was convinced... She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. Squirrel moment. Why do they always picture the fruit as an apple? I mean, I, I imagine this is some super fruit, don't you think? I mean, it looked beautiful. It looked delicious. There was something like abnormal about this, right? Apples, they're okay but I wouldn't exchange humanity for an apple, you know? I'm not a fruit fan. I know you can tell that, but I'm not a fruit fan. Anyway, so she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. She was convinced, and so was Adam. Now, I did a lot of study these last couple weeks on whether Adam was really with her at this moment or not, and no one can decide, and... We don't have a, uh, a factual witness to tell us. Some versions of Scripture do tell us that he was. Some versions of Scripture lead you to believe he wasn't. It doesn't really matter. Because at some point he was faced with the same decision that Eve was faced with. And he was apathetic and did nothing. Said nothing. To be honest with you, not that we're trying to lay, lay guilt, but I, I just want you to think about this. Adam was kind of the first pastor. He was the first spiritual head. It would be my opinion that God spoke the instructions to Adam, and Adam conveyed those instructions to Eve. 
And so in this moment, when Eve needed Adam to be a spiritual leader, to be a spiritual protection, to be a covering for her, he let her down. He was quiet. And he jumped right in in that moment. And so together, they did nothing. The sin of omission and commission. Verse 7 says, at that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame for their nakedness. Verse 25 of chapter 2 tells us they were naked all the time and felt no shame. If, if anything, the greatest tragedy in this all is that we can't all be naked all the time and not feel no shame. My wife makes me close the blinds at home when I'm naked. I don't understand that. She's like, the neighbors don't want to see that. I said, have you asked the neighbors? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> it changed the dynamic of everything. They could no longer trust each other. See, not only could they not trust God anymore, but they couldn't trust each other anymore. They were embarrassed about what they saw. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I find this funny because really playing hide-and-seek from God in the place that he created, I don't, most, most of you probably don't know this, maybe about half of you, I guess, but we used to be the youth pastors here back a long time ago. Um, Tells you how long ago Cindy was a kid. She wasn't even in our youth group. She would have been in children's ministry. So that tells you how long ago that was because now she has kids of her own. So, yes, we're old. But on Monday nights, we would invite the youth group and the young adults over to our house. We would play football in the yard till way after dark. We even went and bought a light-up football so we could play. We'd play out there in the yard. Then we'd come inside, eat, and most of the time watch Monday night football if Monday Night Football wasn't going on, we would play games. One of the games that everybody liked to play was hide-and-seek. So we were in a three-bedroom house, old house, so it wasn't large, playing hide-and-seek with all these uh, energetic teenagers and uh, young adults. So one night, we're, we're playing hide-and-seek, and Bob Bonesteel, who's here with us this morning, uh, he was playing, and we couldn't find Bob. We looked forever for Bob. So finally, we turned off all, on all the lights in the house to try to find Bob. Bob is hidden on top of my four-shelf bookshelf between the top of it and the ceiling, which must have been about that much room. I must have had an anchor to the wall, otherwise I don't know how he wouldn't have brought it down. But he is crouched. Now, if you're envisioning that this morning, Bob was much younger and skinnier then, <laughs> weren't we all? But he was crouched in there. So maybe hiding in some place that we knew very well was, is very applicable here. But Adam and Eve hide themselves from God. Now, I don't believe they were hiding themselves from God because to actually separate themselves. But verse 9 gives us a little clue. It says, Then the Lord God called a man, where are you? I think he did that be not because God didn't know where Adam was, but because Adam no longer knew where he was in relation to God. There had been a separation. Verse 10 and 11, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. 
And God replied, who told you that? And this is the thought I want you to take with you this morning. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to carry this question with you from this moment on. Who told you that? In a day, in a time, in a generation, when everyone else tells us how we should think, ask yourself, who told you that? Who told you that? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 33 through 32 through 37 tells us about the story of David and Goliath. David goes to Saul and tells Saul that he wants to fight Goliath and Saul basically says, dude, you're a little boy. Don't be ridiculous. You're going to get killed. You're a boy and he's a man of war. And David basically replied, who told you that? You see, I've been a shepherd since my youth and I've killed a bear and a lion. Anyone ever killed a bear and a lion in here? I know Larry has. At least a bear. Probably, I don't know about the lion. But he didn't do it with a gun. He did it with a club or a staff. I think he even says at one point he grabbed one of them by his bare hands. And he basically tells Saul that, listen, if I can do that, this dude that's walking out here defying God, I will take care of him too. John chapter 4 tells us of a story of the Samaritan, or, uh, the Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at the well. Some of the intricacies of that story are she's there at noon drawing water from the well. Well, if you've ever been in the Middle East, noon is an oven. When I left Iraq or Kuwait back in 2008, flew home, Kuwait was 145 degrees when I flew out that afternoon. It was 145 degrees, and everybody goes, oh, it's a desert heat. It's not near as hot. Okay. <laughs> it's 145 degrees, the air coming off that gulf, the humidity must have been 200%. I mean, it literally took your breath away. Why was this woman in the heat of the day out drawing water? It was because she was a social outcast. She wasn't allowed to draw water when the other women drew water. She'd been married five times. And right now she wasn't even married. She was living with a guy. And so Jesus finds her and through conversation and connection, he begins to get this woman to open up. And the crux of the conversation once, God, once Jesus gets through all of the issues that she's been going on, he finds that this woman, could not, her self-worth could not have been less. She craved the life-giving water that Jesus offers. And Jesus, in his own gentle way, asked this woman, who told you that? Who told you that you aren't worthy to draw water with the other woman? Who told you that you are lesser because you're not Jewish? Who told you that you're worthless because you've been divorced? Who told you that? And so I ask you that question this morning. 
Who told you that you'll never be delivered from your addiction? Who told you that you won't be a good mom or dad? Who told you that you won't be healed? Who told you that you look abnormal or fat? Who told you that you're not going to make it? Who told you that you aren't male or female? Who told you that you can assume a different gender than the one that you were created? Who told you that you were created homosexual or bisexual? Who told you that your kids will never serve God? God? Who told you that you're stuck in a dead-end job? Who told you that sex is okay outside of marriage? Who told you that we should or do have racial divides? Who told you that it's a choice to kill an unborn baby? Who told you that there are many ways to heaven? Who told you that God is dead? Who told you that? It's time that the church starts removing question marks hanging over God's word. It's time that we get into God's word and know what it says. It's time that we sit in a church on Sunday morning and hear the preaching of the word of God so that when we go to work on Monday morning, we, don't, we recognize the lies of the enemy and the question marks that he's hanging over us. It's time to educate yourself. Listen, I'm, I'm not good at memorization. I, I've memorized a few things basically because Pastor Don made me um, through evangelism explosion. That's the reason why I know there's a Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to men, but the ends of there are death because we learn that over and over again. And yeah, I still have to go Google search stuff to find scripture but I, I need to at least have the base knowledge to know where I'm headed to. We need to find that stuff for ourselves. We need to be able to, to get into his word, know what it says, discern his voice, and draw close enough to him that when anyone else is speaking to us other than him, we recognize it immediately. We need to be able to know the answer to the question, did God say? I just read Proverbs 14, 12, Psalms 9, 94, 11. The Lord knows people's, the people's thoughts, and he knows that they are worthless. That scripture kills me. My thoughts are worthless. They're, they don't mean anything unless God's speaking through them. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 19. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool to become truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to, God's, to God. And as the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of his own cleverness. You know the word cleverness is only used five times in the entire Bible? Here it's used as a man's attempt to decipher God's wisdom. And it was used in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan was speaking to Eve. We need to stop trying to figure it out of our, all for ourselves and ask the question, who told you that? I would challenge you this morning, the unfortunate truth of this story is that Eve, who wanted to be so much like God that she ate the fruit, and once she ate the fruit, she had never been farther from God. The very thing she wanted separated herself from that. I would challenge you this morning with this thought. Why not eat from the tree? Why wouldn't God allow us to eat from the tree? It obviously had some good and obviously had some bad. But I would challenge you with this thought this morning. 
Could it be that God wanted us to live by revelation and not by reason? Think about it. God would tell us everything that we ever needed to know when we needed to know it instead of trying to figure it out all for ourselves. I saw an example of this, and I think it's really good. I always kind of wondered about this new craze with the zombie apocalypse. And if you like that kind of stuff, I apologize. I'm not dissing it whatsoever, but think about this for a moment. The moment that Adam sinned, we became unplugged from the source. I heard someone call it a Google tree. The moment that Adam and Eve ate from it, all this information downloaded into Adam and Eve. So instead of God revealing to us what we need, when we need it, we received all this data that we have no idea what to do with it. You ever have trouble getting your mind to shut off? When Wendy got sick and the first time I came home from the hospital because the, that polite little nurse practitioner put her arm around me and basically told me my wife was going to die. She wasn't coming home. For night after night, my mind would not shut off. No sleep would come. I couldn't get any rest whatsoever because this never shut off. Don't we find ourselves in that place so often? We have to have medicine to sleep. We have to have machines to sleep. You have to turn on the TV. You have to have sound machines. Why? Because we can never get all that information that was downloaded in that moment to ever quiet itself enough for our minds to rest. Because we decided we needed to live by reason instead of revelation. We're dead men walking. Spiritual zombies. I would implore you this morning to stop allowing human reason to dictate your actions and start allowing God's revelation to guide you. I want you to do this for me this morning. And I hate normally when the pastor asks me to do this, but I'm going to make you do it anyway. I want you to look at your neighbor and ask him, who told you that? Now look at your other neighbor that you were secretly hoping to get to look at. Look him in the eyes just for a second, all right? Make eye contact. And ask him, who have you been listening to? Who have you been listening to this morning? John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I never really thought about it till this week as I was reading through my notes, but there's a connection there. I am the truth, and I am the life. Can't have life without truth. And you can't have either one without Jesus. That's what the scripture says. 
If you're in a place this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have never come to a place where you're farther from the truth. And this morning, I want to invite you with me to take that step to find Jesus, to find truth, and to find life. And I want to pray that truth would be revealed to you this morning. And as we close this morning, and I want to close us in a word of prayer, and there's three thoughts that I have for us this morning. Why don't you all stand, just get the legs going and blood flowing in your body again. And if you're comfortable with standing, stand with me. If not, please just remain in a place and a posture of prayer. But I want to challenge you with these three things this morning. I think these three things will find one of you in these places. Number one is that you have never known truth in your life this morning. And today is the day that can change. It can change with a simple prayer. A simple asking God to come in and do something in your life that maybe he's never done before. Forgive you of your sins and restore a relationship with him. It's that easy. And it doesn't have to be eloquent at all. Matter of fact, all you can say is, Jesus, I need you. And man, he's there like that. Or maybe this morning, category number two, maybe you find yourself in a place where God's been hanging question, or the enemy's been hanging question marks over your life. You're like, how are we going to do this? How, how are we going to financially recover? How am I ever going to find what I'm created to do in this life? How am I ever going to see my family restored? How am I ever going to recover from this physical affliction? And if you're here this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the enemy's question marks will be gone and that God will be able to speak truth in your life. Then I think there's a third category here this morning. And I didn't have this written down until this morning, but the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit. There's many of you here this morning that you're okay. You're, you're fine where you're at. But you look around you, maybe in your kids' lives, maybe in friends or family, and you see the enemy hanging question marks all over them. And they don't hear the truth. And you're not sure how, where they're at in their life. You're not sure what's going on with them. And I want to pray for you this morning, for your, those in your family, your friends, those you work with, that you see the enemy hanging question marks all over their lives, speaking lies into their lives. So I want us to pray together for those three. And if you're okay with all those, then your job this morning is to pray for someone else during this time, all right? Join me as we pray, and then Denise going to come and lead us in one final song this morning, and then... We'll cut you loose to go eat lunch and have some fellowship. Father, we love you this morning. I thank you, God, that you gave me the ability to communicate the gospel that you wrote, that you penned, hopefully in a way that grabs a hold of people's hearts this morning. I pray this morning, God, that your Holy Spirit, even right now, as it walks these aisles, would wrap people in your loving arms. Because there's those here this morning that don't know you, that need you. And God, I pray in this moment 
that they would have the courage to say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender to you. God, I pray for those that make that decision this morning, God, that we would be able to come alongside them and love on them and encourage them and speak truth into their lives, God, in a way that maybe they've never seen or experienced before. And God, I pray for those this morning that the enemy has hung question marks over, that the lies have been whispered into their ears and they just are unsure where they're at in this moment. God, I pray that that would be broken off them, that deliverance would come, that truth would ring loud and clear in their lives. God, that they would be able to answer in this moment, who told me that? Because I'm tired of being lost. I'm tired of my mind not being able to shut off, and I pray for deliverance for that. And I pray for those this morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, God, that can look around and see the enemy's destruction, his path of destruction, and those in the, that surround me. I pray for those that stand here this morning that are concerned for their kids. Do the kids know you? Do they serve you? Are their lives a mess? I pray for the moms and dads and grandparents in this building who have a heart for their kids and grandkids. And I pray, God, that the truth would be revealed through them and in them. Jesus, minister to them. Touch them. Let us be beacons in our workplaces. Let us be beacons in our social circles that we might be able to speak truth in every moment, that we might be able to allow people to see truth through us, we pray this morning. And we thank you for that. We love you today, Jesus. We give you thanks. May we be able to see you in every moment, in every movement, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.